drivers going through the cycle. Blaming others means you in denial. Situations getting dire, this is vital. So it's time for us to crack open the Bible and get back to the truth. Yeah, I know you What is good, people? You are now listening to Based with JGN, a biblical perspective on how to interact with the world for the glory of God, where I'm sharing sermons I've preached, encouraging messages, conversations with hard workers, practical health advice, and more. Let's go. Thank you for joining us again on Based. Today, I will be sharing with you a sermon I'm preaching tomorrow morning about hope in a world drowning in sin. I want you to think for a moment about how many four-word sentences you can come up with. I'll give you a few. Don't worry, be happy. Let's get some coffee. What could go wrong? Classic bumper sticker, it's going to be okay. You deserve some cake. Those are all very encouraging. But here are some scarier ones. Biden is still president. I don't love you. How about this one? There is no hope. Four of the scariest words in a sentence together. Do you ever really think about what it means to have no hope? Maybe you think about Princess Leia trapped in the Death Star, wondering if Luke will ever get her message. Perhaps you think about the first episode of The Walking Dead when Rick Grimes gets trapped in a tank and Glenn miraculously saves him. In light of recent events, My mind goes back to last week when we had our 20th anniversary of the terror attacks on 9-11. For the people in the towers, on the phone with their loved ones or police dispatch, knowing that they're about to die. For the people aboard the planes when they knew they were going down. Flight 93 was heading either for the U.S. Capitol or the White House. For the passengers on that flight, it might have been the worst agony. Because they knew the other planes had already crashed by the time the hijacking was happening. They were calling their loved ones back home. They were begging and pleading with the terrorists for their lives. But I would say that one man on that plane had a hope like no other. His name was Todd Beamer. Just before he rallied some passengers to rush the cockpit, he said a prayer with an FBI agent that he'd reached on the phone. And when he hung up, he looked around at all the people in a small circle. And he said his last words to them. Let's roll. That plane did not make it to D.C., What makes a man do something so selfless, so courageous, other than a little bit of hope? People need hope. You see, on that plane, they were heading to a destination. They knew that destination was destruction. In the same way, we are all headed for an eternal destination. A destination of glory or a destination of destruction. Which destination we end up in depends on where we put our hope, right? Romans 8.24 tells us, For in this hope we were saved, that hope being the future glory of the children of God. Before Christ came and gave his life on a cross, man did not have hope for an eternal destination. Ephesians chapter 2 opens up, telling us we were dead in sin. We are children of wrath. But it picks up in, in verse 4, and it says perhaps the two best words that we could hope to hear. But God. 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. If you're following along, put your bookmark here because this is something we're going to come back to a little bit later. But don't don't forget, though, we call it hope for a reason. Hope is the expectation of a desired result or a feeling of trust, if I was going to define that. If we're expecting a desired result, that means that there must also be a result that is undesirable. So we have to ask ourselves, what is that result? And that result is what comes by the life of a person who does not give up sin. The result is the destination of destruction. The problem of man is that nobody can fully give up sin. Nobody. That's scriptural. Romans chapter 3 tells us that no one is righteous, and that all fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark that God sets for us. But there is hope in the gospel of Christ. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, the very first chapter of the gospel message. An angel of the Lord appeared to speak to Joseph about Mary, his wife, who would soon become pregnant, (laughs) not by Joseph's account. An angel spoke to Joseph and said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Yahweh, for he will save his people from their sins. Today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, we're going to take some time to talk about hope. We're going to talk about our hope as Christians. We're going to read the story of Daniel and the lion's den, and we're going to talk about how that story and the elements of those stories, of that one story in particular, is still alive today. And we're going to learn some lessons of hope. So our text is Daniel chapter 6 today. And I want to read the whole story to you. It's going to take a few minutes, but it's definitely worth it. Trust me. All right, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel, making petition and plea before his God. 
Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I want to point out some things to you from this story. This is perhaps one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In the entire Bible. The first thing that I want to point out to you is uh, within verses 3 through 5. So you see, Darius had set 120 people over the kingdom. And Daniel excelled over him, we read, because of an excellent spirit in him. That was the spirit of the Lord. And so Darius was going to appoint him over everything in the kingdom. The other satraps, the, the perfects, they didn't like this idea. Sorry, the prefects. They thought they could be the ones to have all the power. So they plotted against Daniel. They began to watch him and they realized they wouldn't be able to find error or fault in him. And they knew they could only find fault in him if it was in connection to the law of God. 
Now, one of the commandments that they knew about, that almost everybody knew about when it came to the Jewish nation, was thou shalt have no other gods before me. They played on the pride of Darius, uh, took a suggestion to him, by the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed, that a decree should be made that nobody should worship or make petition before any god except for King Darius. And Darius thought that sounded like a good idea. He was not thinking about Daniel in this time. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to point out to you. The second thing is in verse 10. And verse 10 is where we read that Daniel breaks the decree of Darius. Knowing full well that the decree was made, Daniel didn't say, well, you know, I, I really like Darius. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I can just take a break for 30 days. No, he kept praying to God and giving thanks to him three times a day per usual. Daniel kept doing what Daniel was doing. And because of this, Darius was forced by the law to throw Daniel in the lion's den. The third thing I want to point out to you is in verse 23. In verse 23, we read that Daniel was saved because he trusted in God. He was expecting God to save him from the den of lions. We could even say that Daniel had hope that God would save him. And God did just that. The next thing I want you to notice is in verse 26, where justice was served and the God of Daniel was proclaimed to be the God whose dominion shall never end. Like I said, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I think it very much applies to us today. I believe there are a lot, a lot of rules, regulations, legislation that is coming out and trespassing on our freedoms. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 tells us we're all called to freedom and we're to use our freedom to serve one another. Now that freedom we're called to is freedom from keeping the law of Moses, right? Which means that we no longer have to rely on the law of Moses or the law of the Old Testament in order to save us from our sin. Now, in America, we have our freedoms of life. We have our freedoms of liberty, which is the ability to make our own decisions and freedoms of the pursuit of happiness. So how should we as Christians, right? This whole podcast is about how we interact with the world from a biblical perspective. So how should we as Christians who put our hope in God respond to the trespasses on our freedoms from government overreach? I think what we should do is we should remember that our freedom comes from God. Our freedom comes from God and that our freedom is meant for us to be able to love and serve one another. Our freedom comes from God and our freedom is meant for us to be able to love and serve one another. Now, I want to point something out to you. When Darius made the decree that nobody could worship or make petition before anyone else in the king, let me tell you what Daniel did not do. Daniel did not take up arms and go march around and parade in front of Darius and say, Darius, you better take this back. No, he didn't do that. He simply kept doing what was right for him before God. And I believe that's what we should be doing. And in doing so, putting our hope in God to save us from any undesirable result that stems from doing so. What's really interesting and I have to be careful because I'm kind of going off script whenever I talk about this. But in Romans chapter 13, where we talk about submitting to the authorities, a lot of people take that word submit and they think it means that we have to do whatever the government tells us to. But if we look over the history of the world, 
we can notice that there's some conflicting evidence to really support that that's actually what that verse means. Like the Holocaust, for example. Um, that piece of passage was something that the Nazi regime would use to push down on Christians who were in the Nazi party and say, well, because the government says this is what we have to do, this is what we have to do, and you have to be okay with it. But what that word submit means is not necessarily obey, but it just means you're organized under. So we have a responsibility and we have an ability to discern whether what our government is pushing down on us is, is wrong or is right. And we have to make those choices. We have to make those discernments. But if we stand firm in doing the right thing, we have to be prepared to pay the consequences for it and trust that God will see us through. Okay, so now let's kind of rope it back and get back on course here. To fuel the hope, remember, right, our hope is uh, that God will save us from any undesirable result that stems from standing right in our country and in our beliefs. And to fuel that hope, we're going to talk about the four P's of hope. And these are the four P's that we should be sharing with people whenever we go out in the world and they don't know anything or they don't know enough about uh, our, our Christian religion. So the first P is the plight of man. And I have not really been able to define the plight of man by my own terms, so I used Google's terms. And plight is a dangerous, difficult, or unfortunate situation. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, will sum up the plight of man succinctly and sufficiently. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Isaiah 59, verse 2, closely parallels your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear our plight our dangerous difficult and unfortunate situation where we have sinned so much that we have separated ourselves from God is what drives our need for hope something to pull us out of this nasty situation and our hope comes from one man. And that's the second P, that's the person of hope. And the person is Jesus Christ. Before Christ walked the earth, before he was old enough to start teaching in the temples and, and gathering people and performing miracles, John the Baptist went preparing the way for Jesus. And he was gathering a following of people who were ready for the coming of the Messiah. Look at the response of John as he saw Christ coming in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he, speaking of John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And he provides us hope for us through his death on the cross, a death that he was actually looking to escape. If you remember the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was praying and asking God for any other way. But for us, for you, for me, for that person sitting next to you, Submitted to the will of the Father. And he did it because he loves each one of us. Now for any non-believing friends that we might have, the next question would be, how do I obtain this hope? Or maybe, how can I be sure of it? So now we'll talk about our third P, the provision of hope. How our hope is provided to us. So the hope is the feeling that we get when we hear about our salvation, right? That 
we're all sinners, but there's salvation and, and salvation entails eternal life. And that gives us hope or something to look forward to. Our salvation is a free gift. It's something that's offered to every single person who hears the message. We can go back to Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result from works so that no one may boast. We are saved by our faith, period. Now, our faith produces two things. First, it produces the hope that we have, which answers the question of our provision of hope. Second, it also produces the obedience to the Lord's commands. In Romans, we talk about this as the obedience of faith. And we have faith, and when we obey the Lord's commands, remaining faithful until death, we can be sure of our coming eternal glory. And it's not going to be an easy task. Revelations chapter 2 verse 10 tells us this. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Man, that doesn't sound easy. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now with this knowledge of hope and where it comes from and how we get it comes the fourth p and the fourth p is the proclamation of hope to other people all around the world matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 and jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Not only to proclaim hope to the world, but also to warn of the ignorance of the gospel message. You know, there's so many people, too many people, who will hear the gospel message. And, and I, I don't get it, but I know it happens. They'll say, you know, this, this just isn't for me. Or I must be angry at God for some reason. And these are the people that we are called to reach out to. Whenever Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, a lot of times we relate that with going on mission trips and trying to reach maybe indigenous tribes who don't believe or haven't heard. And while that's a responsibility that we have to take on our shoulders and, and stuff that I do all the time and I'm a huge um, advocate for this passage is also telling us that we have to go to the people who have heard the message and it didn't click or they weren't in the right place for it to click. Um, I won't say it won't click for them because if it's, if it's presented in the right way, it will click for everybody. Um, maybe two people who rather turn to drugs to satisfy their feelings of hope instead of turn to the gospel. Those are people that we're called to reach out to. The people that we might walk down the street and cast an eye on and keep walking. Those are the people we're commanded to go to. All right. So to accompany this, I've got a passage from Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. When the crowds were increasing, uh, I might add, this is where Jesus had just cast out a demon and, and people were coming up to him. And as crowds began to, to follow, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. 
It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came up from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, so so just after Jesus cast out this demon and people began gathering around here, this is what he had to say and he spoke up and he's warning them to open their eyes that he is the sign everybody was looking for. He said, this is an evil generation. You're looking for a sign? I'm the sign. This generation is not going to get more than the sign of Jonah. And what was the sign of Jonah? You see, Jonah's message was a message to Nineveh to repent of their sin. The sign of the Messiah? The sign of Christ? It's in Acts chapter 2. It's after Jesus was crucified. After Jesus died. After he rose. And he began to see people. And then he ascended. And after he ascended, people looked around and they said, What have we done? And in Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's the sign of Jonah. That's the sign of the Son of Man that Jesus was talking about. And that's the same message that we are to take and preach to people today with our sights on sharing our hope with them. So, reflection questions. Sit down, write it down, think about it. Are you obeying the gospel? Are you taking the time to take this message of hope that we have to the people around you, to the people far from you, to the people that it's easy to cast an eye on and keep, keep walking and say, man, what, what are you doing with your life? Are you sharing that gospel message with other people? And ultimately... Ultimately, this is the question that we need to have on the forefront of our minds as we think about Christ as our hope. Are you letting Jesus be your hope in a world drowning in sin? Or are you getting your hope from something else or from someone else? That's all I got. I hope this was helpful. I hope it sparked some thought, perhaps some conversation. And I'm really on fire to go and and preach this message tomorrow to a group of people, a small group of people, about hope and the hope we have in Christ. Go with God.